One Dental Clinic, sponsors of Women Today, offer convenient appointment times in the heart of Douglas, so you can fit your dental care into your working day. Fast my good afternoon. This is Women Today on Manx Radio with me, Beth Espy, and it's a Conister Rock special this afternoon where our guest shares with us some music and memories. And we also uh, always welcome suggestions for guests, as you can hear in the Conister Rock archive on the Manx Radio website. We have invited all sorts of people to the rock, from politicians and musicians to authors and sports stars. And occasionally, as has happened today, some people suggest themselves, put themselves forward, and we really do encourage you to do that. If you have some stories to tell or memories to share, do get in touch and let us know. Women today at manxradio.com. So let's meet today's guest then, who got in touch after hearing Conister Rocks one day while walking around the block. He owns and edits his own weekly news magazine called City News, and he co-hosts a two-hour talk show on the principal commercial radio station in Canberra, 2CC. And what is probably of real importance to us is that he is Manx-born and almost bred, having left the island as a young teenager, just after Manx Radio started, actually, in 1964. So it is a real pleasure to say Ian Meikle, Welcome to the Isle of Man. Well, thank you, Beth. It's lovely to be back on the island and uh, especially nice to be sharing some time with you on the nation station. Uh, I might say uh, I, <laughs> the circumstance of my offering myself up, uh, it sounded terribly egotistical. It wasn't. Uh, uh, it was, I was as, as you said, I was shuffling around uh, the block in very cold um, autumn weather and I, I heard the interview you had with uh, an, an American uh, guitarist, I think he was. He had a particular style of guitar, and I was quite captive. I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, they, they seem to be happy to talk to anybody. I wonder if she'd like to talk to me. And lo and behold, you said yes, so here we are. Here we are we indeed. Are. Now, I might say you've got uh, you've got listeners in uh, in Australia tonight. It's um, it's 11 o'clock, at eight, 11.08 on the uh, East Coast, and I know there are people in Sydney listening. And I know there are people in Canberra, which is the national capital of, uh, a bit like Douglas, really, of Australia. Uh, and uh, in Adelaide, which is uh, in South Australia, the capital of South Australia, where my sister Moira, who uh, shared the island of my upgrow, up, up, growing up here together, uh, so she is particularly interested and promised to stay up late at least till 10.30 to listen. Oh, how wonderful. Mm. Well, we encourage them to get in touch, maxradio.com. Uh, just uh, drop us an email. Um, but I have to say, you definitely have lost your Manx accent, haven't you? <laughs> you think so? Yeah, you've no, got no, a bit I, of twang. I get told, I get told the opposite. I'm in a sort of no man's land with the accent, I suppose. Because people say, oh, you know, uh, uh, he's Manx, they say, on air. You know, I get I get plenty of ragging for the accent. And I suppose your listeners will be laughing because I don't sound particularly Manx. Not yes, particularly. No, not, not particularly. Particular. Okay, let's go back then. Mm. Let's start with your early days where um, you were born over here, grew up around uh, the Douglas and Onken yeah, area. Jane Crookle uh, maternity home with the stork on the roof. I, su- I suppose you don't really remember that particular oh, I, I part was told, of your life. Well, as a child, I was taken back. In fact, you talk about early memories. My first early memory was about three, and we went around to pick my sister up. Uh, and, of course, I uh, believed that uh, the, the, the stork on the roof had delivered her and uh, delivered her. Well, little I know it was going to ruin my life completely. But, um, but uh, so I, I was a great believer on the stork on the roof. That's but, yes, I grew up around Douglas, uh, went to... Um, uh, Murray's Road Primary School, uh, which is now gone. I mean, they've swapped, the, they've filled the playground with another school. Uh, and then there was um, uh, St Andrew's Church, and that's gone. I mean, 
Each time I come back, there's a little bit of me being sort of killed off. <laughs> I suppose that's progress. I suppose it is. Um, well, that's what some people call it, isn't it? Um, your dad had a grocery shop, didn't he, on Market Hill? He did. It was called Market Hill Stores. It's a uh, hairdresser's now on, uh, on Market Hill. And uh, uh, and uh, he uh, he was a grocer. He was from Scotland. Uh, he was a holiday maker. He stayed at my grandparents uh, after the war, Second World War. He'd come over and he stayed with my grandparents at Beach Crest, uh, which was a, um, a, a private hotel, we won't call it a boarding house, private hotel, uh, on um, just opposite, uh, uh, what's the castle? Um, castle Manor. Castle Manor in, in sad repair, disrepair. It's so sad. Uh, and across the road, all her, um, their, um, uh, it's all been apartmentalised now, so the, so the, um, it's gone. I mean, the, so that's gone too. But how interesting, though, that you were part of that sort of scene in the heyday of tourism over here. Do you I remember loved, much about oh, of that? Of course I do, yes. I mean, as a kid, I mean, seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, summers were wonderful because my mother would help out at the... Um, uh, at the boarding house, and my my father would be busy in his grocery shop, and uh, we were just left. We were given, I suppose, two or three striped T-shirts and Marks and Spencers, uh, uh, a pair of sandals, and so sort of dispatched to the beach. And I might say, uh, I couldn't imagine sending children to the beach at that age these days, but um, I couldn't swim. Uh, and, and I couldn't swim until I went to Australia uh, after the age of 14. Uh, so so miserable is the Irish Sea and so uninviting. I never sort of, you know, started splashing any deeper than my knees if I could help it. <laughs> you did go around collecting discarded bottles, though, didn't you? I did. You know, the, 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 um, the sort of five o'clock dinner gongs. Uh, I remember a day on Douglas, days on Douglas Beach where all the... All the um, deck chairs were out, and there were donkeys, I and mean, it's unbelievable now. It's so wonderfully free, but um, but there they were. They were falling. You'd hear the dinner gongs going, and and uh, people would sort of lowing. They would head off up to the up to boarding house uh, to have dinner. I mean, amazing. The people would have dinner, bed, and breakfast in the same place. They didn't eat out like we do now. Uh, so they would dutifully go, and uh, uh, and in their wake there would be bottles, and uh, they were worth Thropen's deposit. So my sister and I would sort of comb the uh, central promenade beach and, you know, end up with a few bobs. So we were quite industrious in that sense. Um, talking of the beach then, it takes us to the first piece of music you've chosen. What is it and why? Oh, uh, well, this is... Uh, this is uh, I've, I've selected music that were uh, constrained only by my closing years and living on the Isle of Man. Uh, so there, I apologise to our listeners for some of them, but they're a bit, uh, they're a bit cloying. Uh, but this one I loved, and I still love it today. Uh, it's the Beach Boys. Uh, uh, it's called "I Get Around," and I remember seeing it. I had this uh, what they laughingly called a transistor radio, which is uh, the size of a suitcase, and I was sitting up in splendid isolation on the upper deck of a red bus going to Onken. Uh, that was right. Yellow was the corporation, red were outside the uh, the borough, weren't they? And so I was on the red bus heading along, and as we went along uh, the promenade, uh, in Douglas Bay, just at the distance, uh, was um, Radio Caroline was broadcasting on its way to uh, anchor itself somewhere, godforsaken spot in the Irish Sea. So they went... Uh, they would um, go there and and played, and, but I I remember this because I was sitting on top. Uh, I may have had a little one of those horrible little earpieces on, you know, those little thin those things that were just one ear, and I listened to this wonderful song.
I get around by the Beach Boys and memories there for our Conister Rock guest Ian Meikle watching Radio Caroline across Douglas Bay. How important was it listening to radio? And, well, and it, it was sensational because all we had was uh, was BBC, and a lot of people wouldn't realise how how suffocating that was. Uh, and at nights uh, with with this uh, with my treasured. Um, transistor radio, which actually I took to Australia, got stolen. So, um, so <laughs> I think I got naturalised as was on that basis. But the um, uh, the gigantic stereo and I were the best of friends, and we would sit at night, and uh, and other people would recognise this, tuning into the variable frequency of Radio Luxembourg as it sort of came in and then would fade away and come in and fade away. So the arrival of the pirate radio ships. Uh, where it was a it was a complete catharsis because there was a pent up generation or generations of people who just wanted choice. And right now we said, well, hey, everybody, we're going to go back to three or four channels of BBC Radio. How do you feel about that? You'd have people coming up, marching up to Douglas Head here, and you know, demanding you uh, get broadcasting again. So uh, it was a very difficult period for people. But but Radio Caroline was wonderful, and they also played these crazy Manx ads because the island was a, was a source of revenue for them and uh, uh, I, I, I unwittingly bought an album in more recent years which was the sort of best of Radio Caroline they had some of the announcers I mean they restaged it but they played the ads on this and the ads are hilarious uh, just wonderful things well while you're over you're going to have to listen to our uh, show Carnaby Street which goes out on a Saturday morning 8.30 which has got some pretty interesting ads on there from oh, times gone by uh, you are listening to Conister Rocks here on Manx Radio 17 minutes past two and with our guest Ian Meikle this afternoon a Manxie who's returned from down under just for a short time. If you'd like to get in touch, wonderful six, wonderful seven. If you'd like to text, or you can email studio at manxradio.com. Particularly if you're one of those relatives listening in Australia. The Nation Station, Radio. Abbey Dental sponsors of Women Today for all aspects of today's dental care. Highly recommended throughout the Isle of Man. And we're on the Conister Rock this afternoon with Ian Meikle, a Manxie who's returned from Down Under for a few days, and we're finding out a little about his early years here, growing up on the Isle of Man. And as you mentioned, Ian, you went to Murray's Road Primary School, then Balakameen and Douglas High School, which was for boys then. How were your school days? What sort of schoolboy were you? Well, uh, I, thought I, I thought I was getting along reasonably well, but... Um, uh, in more recent years, I, I decided, I used to come back typically in the summer when the school was closed. And there was one year I came back and the school was open and I got in touch uh, by sending a facsimile to the uh, to the principal or the headmaster in those days. His name was George and I've forgotten his surname, but we were contemporaries uh, at uh, Douglas High School for Boys. And he George was from uh, Peel from memory, so he was a uh, a country boy, and of course the divide between country boys and the city guys or townies uh, was quite uh, quite obvious. Anyway, George is very gracious and uh, sort of held my hand and got me into the into what was the uh, principal's uh, office, which is you know uh, if you'd gone in at Ara when we were younger, there was only one conclusion you were there for. It wasn't there to congratulate you. Anyway, George is very generous. He gave me an acrylic uh, school tie uh, and confessed that he'd taken some time to um, to look, look me up. Uh, and reported rather rather worryingly that I left no footprints. Oh. So <laughs> so academically, oh, how do you feel I just about passed, that? I've, oh. I'm nonplussed. <laughs> it didn't bother me at all, but I thought it was rather funny that I left no prints, footprints at the Douglas High School for boys. You were, though, at primary school devoted to one of your teachers. I was. I, I thank you, yes, for reminding me. Uh, there were two teachers I can remember from the primary school uh, there. There was Mrs Butterfield, uh, who I was just absolutely devoted. I'm pretty sure she taught me to write. Uh, 
Um, and Mrs. Butterfield just it was the completely epitome of a wonderful teacher as a, as a five-year-old. We've all got one. Uh, I was just I was in, in love in a sort of childish way with this wonderful uh, female figure. Uh, and then, uh, I, I, from memory, towards the end of my time at um, uh, at uh, Murray's Road, I had a, a teacher, I think his name was Mr. Griffith. And funny how we don't remember any first names. They, the, none, the teachers didn't have first names. And they obviously lived at the school because they didn't have a life. Anyway, uh, Mr. Griffith uh, it, it, it taught me um, uh, to hate my handwriting. I, I'm left-handed. And I can still remember him. He looked up, you know, in front of the class. He said, Mikkel, he said, your handwriting's enough to give anyone indigestion. He was Welsh, if you were wondering. Oh, what right. I well, did wonder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, was, uh, he was Welsh, and uh, uh, I was uh, scarred for life <laughs> by him. So I was both, I was both uh, sort of loved and reviled at Murray's Road High School. Uh, but I was there at the same time. The Bee Gees were there, too. But we probably come to that later. I think we probably will. Yeah. But um, talking about music, though, you explored your musical side while at secondary school in the inaugural Balakameen School Band. I, w- I was a founding member of the inaugural Balakameen Band. I um, rather unwisely, and if any children listening don't do this, I forged my father's signature and joined up. And not thinking this through, I turned up at home with uh, what was called an E-flat horn. Uh, not something you can disguise or just wander in. Like, somebody's going to say, what's that? Anyway, I turned up with rather br- brightly and said, I've, uh, I've joined the band and they want two bob a week or something for the, for the uh, hire of the instrument. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, my father took uh, my early forgery attempts in good grace and uh, continued to allow me to um, perform with the E-flat horn, but unfortunately uh, I showed absolutely no promise and... Um, uh, mercifully was put out of their misery in the first year. I think I did one concert. It was unforgettable. Right. Uh, what about you playing Peter and Gordon songs in one of your friend's garages? Oh, in Alberta Drive. And and you've uh, reminded me off air who I was uh, playing uh, uh, Peter and Gordon songs with. I had a snare drum, which which I'd bought for five bob somewhere, and uh, nothing else. So, so you had to have tea chests to make up all the rest of the drum kit. So we, we, we had what the Americans quaintly call a garage band. And uh, so I'm, I'm in the garage band and also in the band, as I think they may have either had a guitar or borrowed a guitar or there's enough, uh, was um, uh, in, his, in his father's garage. His father was an accountant up on Alberta Drive. Uh, I lived in Furman Road, just down the road in Onken. And uh, he was a school friend of mine. Uh, and I, only know, I can only remember him as Ernie Earnshaw. But, of course, you've reminded me that he's Adrian Earnshaw, uh, former MHK. Uh, so, uh, Ernie, if you're out there, son, we, uh, we should get together and do a couple of choruses of uh, anything by Peter and Gordon, which we, were ghastly songs. We look forward to that. Speaking of concerts, actually, we've had an email in. Uh, good afternoon, folks. I have just finished a gig and I'm now at home with my girlfriend, Tara, listening and enjoying the interview with my uncle, Ian. Isn't technology wonderful? And that is from Heath. Oh, Heath, yes. Heath is a uh, singer-songwriter in Adelaide and uh, he, he uh, plays at gigs and he's a very good performer, by the way. Yes, uh, possibly unlike over. you. <laughs> I don't mean that. I don't, I'm sure your Peter and Gordon songs were wonderful. No, he got the musical genes. They clearly jumped my generation. <laughs> um, what you do do now, and we will come to this um, a little bit later, but you own and edit your own weekly news magazine called City News. And actually, your involvement with print media, print media started at an early age but actually you, initially you were delivering papers rather than writing in them. Uh, well, a, li- a bit of both actually, but, but yes, um, uh, I both uh, appeared in print here first, and, uh, but my first experience was delivering papers. 
uh, a summer job. Um, I've forgotten the name. It was the first job I got sacked from. Um, uh, and I, it was a merciful release. I had a huge uh, green canvas bag and a bicycle. Uh, and I had to go around uh, and insert newspapers uh, around Onken. So this is on the main road of Onken, uh, just near where the post office is, little, the little news agent on the corner there. And uh, so they would they would all label all the addresses, and I had to then get on the bike, or there were there were a crew of us, and head off. And the, I mean, balancing act until you got about halfway through your round was rather dangerous, uh, but I did it, and. Um, uh, what I look back with uh, see as quite quaint, but you wouldn't see it as quaint, uh, is putting uh, putting papers and stuffing things through doors. Because in Australia, there are letterboxes like the American style where they're at the end of your garden. That's for the mail. And papers tend to get thrown onto your lawn. So uh, I, I, I clearly wasn't cut out for this. And I can remember um, putting these uh, one summer morning, because we used to have to get up early when the boat came in with the morning papers. And I think that might have been what did me in in the end, that I wasn't as um, <laughs> diligent about getting up uh, as I should have been. But uh, I did, uh, I was inserting these papers into the uh, into, into doors uh, and, you know, I had to be careful he didn't rip them because then they complained to the news agent. I was stuffing too, too thick and the magazines would go in. Anyway, there was this terrible, terrible morning, a summer's morning. Um, I, was, I am, to this day, a completely obsessed Beatle uh, fan. And there I was... Uh, reading with, with horror and I had this huge canvas bag of this miserable news that the Beatles had been knocked off the charts by by uh, the four pennies. I mean, four pennies, really? I don't even know if they ever got a second hit. Anyway, they had this ridiculously, uh, what would you call it? It's a cloying, awful song uh, called Juliet, which actually, uh, th- there are moments if I've drunk enough, I actually think it's rather sweet. Okay, well let's see if you think it's rather sweet now, shall we? <laughs> We're not going to play too much of no, that, I'm Ian. getting acne listening yeah. to it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's Memories for you, though, of that band that knocked your heroes of Beatles off the top of the charts. I love the fact you said it was the first job you were sacked from. I feel that there are probably more stories. Uh, no, no, no. I've been very virtuous. Uh, I used to, uh, for the, the um, Onken Corporation, uh, the, at the, um, what's it called, the, uh, the stadium, Onken Stadium, uh, I used to be sort of work as a roustabout there for a couple of bob a night. And we used to uh, also have to go around, the, uh, there were runs through, through um, Douglas in the height of the holiday season where we would deliver um, leaflets, brochures about what was coming up at the, um, uh, at the stadium. And uh, we would be assembled by uh, a member of the council, a, a, a employee of the council. His name, and again, is how deferential we were, his name was Mr. Binns, B-I-N-N-S. And Mr. Binns would dutifully take us to where our run was, and I often did the whole promenade. And I remember there were there was just hotel after hotel after hotel. You ran up the stairs, you went in and left, it in the, left these notes in the foyer, ran down, ran up, ran up. And then Mr. Binns was waiting for us as we all came panting uh, at the end of this run and gave us uh, three and six in cash, and we were very grateful for the work. So, and I never got sacked from that. Oh. <laughs> um, what about your work at the Examiner then? Because your uncle got you into this. He was a journalist. He did. My uncle, uh, Rod Comish, was um, a reporter at the Examiner when it was in Athol Street. 
and uh, he'd got me, he'd given me my first break in print. <laughs> well, the job was uh, a Saturday afternoon in the winter. Uh, you had the, the prerequisite, you simply had to have uh, the ability to write, and I'd overcome my, uh, you know, the trauma of Mr. Griffith, and, uh, and I have a, a workable bicycle. Uh, and you were dispatched to the second division um, matches in this appalling uh, uh, weather, uh, where at halftime they would they would ply you with tea that curled my hair. It was just extraordinary. The, I mean, the spoon would stand stand upright in it. Anyway, we would. Uh, the job was you had to accurately find out where every time a goal was scored, you had to find out who scored it, and then what the total of the, of the thing was, and then at the final whistle. Uh, you so had to leg it back to Athol Street, go panting up to somebody who must have been the editor or an editor, and drop the drop the cop. What I now understand is copy. Drop the copy on his desk, and uh, this was for the um, the green final, which I mean it's astonishing when you think about it. There was a Saturday afternoon publication of sports results from all around the island, uh, printed and then distributed on only on Saturday afternoon on green paper. Uh, and I, I went down, because uh, it was cold, you, you go down into the press, typically you call them a press hall, but this was actually more of a press room, and you sit there and this, this wonderful, I'd love to see it again, I'd love to see what it was really, now I know more about presses. Uh, it's beautiful old, well-kept, uh, creaking old press, and then it would sort of shudder to life, and then that, that, that incessant of, of newspapers coming off, and it's a rhythm of my life in many respects. I love that sound. And um, you pick up the green final and, and tear yourself away from the warmth of the press room and head down to my dad's grocery shop and, and, and just double-check that they got my uh, two lines right. <laughs> <laughs> um, something else you did mm. uh, a little bit later on was um, write about rock and roll and do reviews. Oh, well, yes, I was. I, I, um, uh, this was in Adelaide at the Adelaide Advertiser. I was... Um, a general reporter there, and I suppose you call we would call them perks. I'm not sure whether you understand the uh, subtly that means. Yes, okay. So it was a perk. It was an extra job, and uh, so I'd write a record review column and would interview uh, stars as they came through through Adelaide. Now Adelaide's the capital of South Australia. The population is broadly about a million people, so it's a reasonably big city. And this was the morning broadsheet newspaper in a two-paper town. But you saw some pretty incredible names here in the Isle of Man before you left, and this takes us to, oh, to yes, track I three. Did. I'm sorry, and I think that's where the fascination came. I'm sorry, yes, I saw I saw the mojos, I saw honey and the honeycombs, um, uh, I think I saw the swinging blue jeans, but the uh, but th that summer, the summer I left in 1964, I'm pretty sure it was, uh, in the Palace Ballroom, rest in peace, or rest in pieces, really. Um, there was uh, the, the Rolling Stones, and because uh, it, it was going every week, you know, you get tickets. And I went along to the Rolling Stones. I would have been uh, 13, four, just 14, and uh, there they were. They came on. They were, they were everything the Beatles weren't. They were rough, tough, and and they were played behind. Uh, obviously, the the, the Manx uh, uh, safety constraint was obvious. They stayed behind what we call a cyclone fence. You know, a fence, a see-through fence made of wire, a wire fence, which stopped things being thrown at them. Uh, and uh, it was it, the foyer was like a battlefield of, of girls passed out and and uh, the ambulance uh, people reviving them, and uh, it was chaos. And it was their 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 out their song at the time, their their single at the time uh, was uh, "It's All Over Now." In which Brian Jones, who subsequently left the band and then subsequently 
died, um, played a 12-string guitar. I, never, I didn't even know you could get a 12-string guitar. No internet in those days to check, you know, guitars, strings. Um, so I, I would... Um, Watching this wonderful performance, I think it's one of his probably crap, really, but it was it was a wonderful performance for a fourteen-year-old, and it absolutely uh, I became transfixed by uh, by rock and roll, and it happened that moment really happened that summer in the Palace Ballroom. The Rolling Stones all over now and memories for our Conister Rock guest Ian Meikle of the summer of 1964 when they played at the Palace Ballroom. This is Conister Rock's On Manx Radio. We'll be back in just a moment. Abbey Dental, sponsors of Women Today for all aspects of today's dental care. Highly recommended throughout the Isle of Man. And we're on the Conister Rock today sharing music and memories with Ian Meikle and uh, really is stirring up some memories for some of the listeners as well. Ian, Karen's been in touch to say bringing back so many memories. Went to most places that this man went to and remember the Onken booklets, those flyers that you were talking about as well. And with regard to the Rolling Stones concert, we've had a text saying ask your guest, does he remember the police dog sitting on the side of the stage when the Stones were on <laughs> we i sort of do and I, I i'm not faking it i actually think uh, i think the i think the uh, correspondent is right um but uh and i on, on mature reflection i'm not sure whether the police were trying to protect the uh, the girls of, uh, of the isle of man from the stones or the stones from the audience but uh, it worked <laughs> um well we've we've heard a little bit about what it was like for you growing up in your formative years here mm. but the age of what you were 14 uh, when your family decided to emigrate to australia what was it that prompted that decision uh, well, my father had the, the grocery shop, as I mentioned, on Market Hill. And uh, with sort of um, a characteristic I never really credited him with, him with some, some real foresight, he could see uh, these supermarket things would take off. And, and really the local grocer was doomed. Uh, and also my sister and I living uh, on a small island, uh, you know, there was a sense of inevitability that we might leave. Uh, so to keep the family together, they picked us both up and took us to the other side of the world, where we couldn't run away, I suppose. But and and that's that worked. We lived in Adelaide, and both my parents have uh, died now. But um, we lived in Adelaide, and so that was correct. They uh, they were able to evoke and maintain a family arrangement. We also took my grandmother, and then. Uh, a few of her sisters sort of percolated uh, into uh, South Australia as well. So uh, Australia has been very, very good for us, uh, but it doesn't take away from our respect of our Manx heritage, of course. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. I want to go to uh, the fourth piece of music that you've chosen, and you've already told us uh, that the Beatles were your heroes. Yes, they were. And uh, why is this one significant? Well, it was the last album before I left the Isle of Man, um, and they'd only had a couple before that. Uh, it the uh, it, it, look I, I can't put any drama. I have to identify what it is. It's Hard Day's Night, the movie where it came out. It was playing at the cinema in Walpole Street, and I've uh, I've forgotten the name of the cinema, but the um, 
was it the Regency, something like that, uh, cinema in Walpole Street uh, for the summer. And in those days, uh, films would stay there all, you know, for, for, for weeks on end uh, because the population was constantly changing with visitors. So if there was something interminably awful film on, it stayed on. Uh, and they didn't sort of change every Thursday as they might normally do. So there was no escaping some of them. But, of course, the gift of that was Hard Day's Night came on in that summer, and it stayed on in Walpole Street. And, of course, it was a, it was a sort of a badge of pride to go and, uh, go and um, see it. The frequent number of times you saw it was, was, oh, yes, I've seen Hard Day's Night now five times, six times. I think I may have lied at seven. I fancy I, I peaked at five. But I can remember sort of going along, um, uh, coming out of Walpole uh, Cinema and then Walpole Street Terrace, Walpole Street. Walpole Road. Road, whatever, anyway, down there. Uh, And then heading across the sands to my grandmother's uh, boarding house uh, and sort of singing these uh, these songs. Uh, And the title track is the one I particularly love. A Hard Day's Night from the Beatles and memories for Ian there of the movie that opened at the old cinema in Walpole Avenue, a text has just told us. But we don't know the name of the cinema, so if you know that, just uh, get in touch. Let us know, 166-177. So much more to talk to you about, Ian, but uh, you did move to Australia in 1964 um, after you finished your your schooling days. Your uh, career in journalism really took off. You're married to Janice. You have two children and four grandchildren. Uh, Janice, we should say, is sitting in the studio on the sofa in the corner there having to... Mute. Yes, she was invited to speak. She, she decided not, a, not, not to. Not a word has she got for the Manx Nation. <laughs> it's shameful. But you come over quite a lot, though, still, uh, don't you? Uh, we had the good fortune of popping backwards and forwards uh, with uh, some frequency, yes. And do you still have family over here? Uh, well, I have uh, Barbara and Jeff Quayle, uh, uh, who are uh, m- m- usually our host. Uh, their daughter Sophie is getting married tomorrow in St George's. Uh, which would be lovely because I haven't been to St George's Church since 1963 when my uncle got married. <laughs> so it's been a long time <laughs> before I, since I've been in St George's Church. I'm looking forward to that. It was the Regal. The Regal. Oh, that was it. Thank you very Thank much you. to everybody who's... Um, although somebody else has said it's the Royalty Cinema. So it's either Royalty or Regal, but there's a certain uh, Regal... Well, it begins with an R. It begins with an R, we know that. that. Um, but yes, apparently it was... Lots of people are actually saying that it's a Royalty Cinema on Walpole Avenue, so oh, right. we remain to... So we'll, we'll go with that. Um, you do so, so much now, as we talked about um, the, the weekly magazine that you own mm. and edit. You also do a um, two-hour talk radio show. And this is killing me. I do two hours on Sundays. It's called the... Uh, my paper's called The City News. It's called The City News Sunday Roast, and it's a talk show. Uh, and... I I ask the questions. So I've got to tell you, Beth, this is killing me. I, I want to ask you questions. <laughs> I'm sitting behind a microphone answering. Uh, I noticed you've, had to, s- you've had to sit with your arms folded. Yeah. You want to be pushing <laughs> the buttons. I get, I get that. Um, you still keep in touch with the Isle of Man. You do listen to Manx Radio. I do, yeah. I'm intrigued by this. Your guilty pleasure, you say, is Manx Gold. What is that? Oh, Manx Gold. It's, it's a joke in the family. Manx Gold is uh, a bit of silliness on my part. Uh, it's a big bowl of steaming hot custard. Okay. Preferably birds. Right. <laughs> So, so not really Manx at all. 
Well, it, it is to me, uh, and the kids all call it Manx Gold now. So it's just it's just taken off as a as an echo of my heritage, even though custard doesn't loom particularly large large at the Manx Museum, to my my observation. We haven't got much time to talk okay. about um, the sort of the, the print media side, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because people would say print media has had its day, but the, you clearly see that there's still very much a demand for it, um, and. From a journalism point of view, I'm intrigued mm. by this, and I read this about you. You say you might not agree with what people say, but you absolutely defend their right always to say it. Well, you've done your homework. Oh, you saw that. Mm. Yes, I do. And uh, we, we, our publication, as my career has been, is to be very pluralistic in, in looking at uh, people's views. Uh, so, you know, if somebody wants to write a reply, they get a right a reply, uh, even, if, even if they're wrong. Uh, and I defend people's right to... Uh, uh, to have a, have, a, have a say and have an opinion because that's about democracy and it's about freedom. Um, you also have issues with what you call the destructive power of social media. Now, that, And again, that's something that's really impacted on journalism as a whole. Uh, I think it is a destructive power and I don't want to be a wowser about this. It's not to uh, talk it down. I think social media is a very binding way for people to uh, socially meet and, and stay in touch with their relatives and their friends. I think where it goes uh, dangerously wrong is when you're seeing people like uh, President Trump uh, you know, uh, tweeting uh, and disturbing uh, relationships with, what is it, 160 characters? I mean, you can't put a cogent case for anything. Uh, in in that space, and I think there's the danger of of miscommunication. So social media can be the can be a, a real benefit, and I I see the virtue of it. But I think uh, you, people who think that that's where they should get their news are sorely mistaken. And what we're seeing now is that people are gravitating back to regular brands that they know uh, and can trust, like Manx Radio, the uh, the Examiner, you know, places where they know they that the work is put together with care and professionalism. Ian, we can clear it up about the cinema. It was the Regal on Victoria Street and the Royalty on Walpole Avenue. Thank you very much to Texter, whose number ends in 896 for clarifying <laughs> that. You. Now we know. Now we know. So much more we could talk to you about, Ian. Mm. We do hope you enjoy um, your stay and the wedding this do. weekend. Um, do come back and see us when you are next over. But uh, it's time for your fifth and final piece of oh. music. Incredibly poignant. Tell us what you've chosen and why. Well, uh, I, I don't... Yes, this is... Um, uh, when I was, at, I was at Murray's Road uh, Primary School at the same time, uh, the Bee Gees were there. Well, what turned out to be the Bee Gees, or the three brothers. Uh, they don't remember me, and I must confess I don't remember them. Uh, but, uh, but as a joke, uh, much, like, much like Manx Gold, I, I sort of stylized myself uh, among uh, friends as, the, uh, uh, as I was the fourth Bee Gee, because I went to the same school. And, of course, when Paul Morris succumbed, uh, late of this parish, uh, there was a very big uh, Manx uh, presence in... Uh, in the Isle of Man, uh, Morris. Uh, when he succumbed, I, I described myself as the third. And when poor Robin uh, died, I sort of became the second BG. And, uh, and uh, short of having a word with Barry, he decided to break the band up. So uh, I'm an ex-BG without ever having sang with them. However, I do have a, I do have a small story. Uh, and that is that uh, the Bee Gees uh, did a tour of the world called One Night Only, where they cherry-picked particular stadiums around the world and they did one concert. So they weren't, didn't do a season, they didn't do a tour. They went and did one concert. And the one concert uh, they did in Australia was in Sydney. There's about 90,000 people. That's probably the, almost the uh, population of the island. Uh, in one stadium, they were, it was the first night of using this, uh, the stadium before the Sydney Olympics. So it was a bit of a test run. They came out, they played, uh, they played um, a beautiful set, which is largely represented on the album. 
but they also played uh, Ellen Vannon. Uh, and it was wonderful. 90,000 people didn't have a clue what they were doing. A perfect way to end. Thank you so much for sharing music and memories with us this afternoon. Thanks for having me, Beth. When the summer day is over It's busy cares and I will sing beneath the starlight with a weary heart and love Then he rises like a big One Dental Clinic, sponsors of Women Today, offer convenient appointment times in the heart of Douglas so you can fit your dental care into your working day.